Awesome. Welcome to episode number nine already of the We Are Unlimited podcast for the League of Champions Free Success Coaching Facebook group. Um, in League of Champions, you get multiple coaches with various expertise delivering daily trainings on all things related to success. So we're talking mindset, we're talking spirituality, we're talking about sleep, we're talking biohacking, nutrition, relationships, business strategy, and effectiveness and more. So check out below or for our show notes for more information on that and come and join the conversation conversation but today we are talking about relationship success and in the context of that uh, we've got another expert in here today to give us her knowledge and her name is Emma Perks welcome to the podcast Emma awesome to have you thank here you. thank cool. you oh you're welcome I'm, I've been really looking forward to this <clears throat> okay so Emma is a pelvic health and musculoskeletal physiotherapist and the founder of Full Circle Physiotherapy. Emma has been a physiotherapist for the past 15 years and has collated a wealth of experience and knowledge within many fields, including women's health, chronic pain, sports injuries, orthopedics, and musculoskeletal conditions. She has been focused primarily within pelvic health for the last five years. Like a lot of physios, Emma found her passion for pelvic health after having her eldest child and realized that there was a massive hole within the healthcare industry regarding the education and knowledge needed when treating prenatal, postnatal and perimenopausal women. Um, Emma now has two children aged five and three and lives with her husband, Simon, here in New Plymouth. It is Emma's passion to see that no woman should ever feel limited from achieving her full potential due to any pelvic health issues that they may be experiencing. Full Circle Physiotherapy is based in the beautiful, beautiful Tahi here in New Plymouth um, in the CBD, and she's working alongside other lovely practitioners who all have a collaborative women's health and wellness focus. So welcome once again, Emma. It's awesome to have you here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So Emma, can I ask, um, we're just going to dive straight in because we're just opening up the conversation and, and getting it real and raw here. Um, can I ask you about your own journey uh, from having children and the experiences that you've had personally that's led to your um, specific line of work now? Yep, sure, absolutely. Um, this is a great conversation to have, so thank you, Helen, for making this conversation real, as you say. Um, I see it every day, but a lot of people don't. Um, so, yeah, my own journey was um, that I, my eldest is five now, and I um, had children in uh, New Zealand so I'm originally from the UK and so we had our antenatal classes that you do during parent centre and met some really cool people and as it happened we um, I was actually induced uh, 38 weeks with preeclampsia and so um, I was the first one out of our little group to pop as it were and um, yeah and my first I have to say my labour went I would say relatively smoothly for a first time induction it wasn't a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination but um I um I managed it okay and I came out with it relatively unscathed physically and mentally I guess because I had a bit of prior knowledge and privilege and information from working women's health I'd seen labour I'd seen birth before uh experience wise that obviously helped me but it was only when after um having our first child having my first child that we were as you do coffees at different people's houses and we were chatting around I guess birth experience a little bit of our birth stories and some people were 
more than willing to share and some people were definitely a bit quiet in the corner um, it just made me realize how little information and education and empowerment is out there about um, pre-birth sort of preparation I suppose the birth process but particularly for women postnatally how to look after their own bodies what's normal what's not okay um, and it was only around that conversation of hearing everybody else I felt really privileged that I had I guess some insight um, into what was normal and what wasn't normal uh, that helped me guide my own postnatal recovery but there was lots of friends and if the clients and patients out there who just have no idea and they don't know who to ask um, the questions to or to find really good solid evidence-based information um, from um, and so that really kind of guided me then thinking do I want to treat 16 year old boys with ankle sprains probably not um, probably more so along the line of advocating um, pelvic health and empowerment and helping women get back to what they want to do like there shouldn't be any reason why being postnatal should hold you back from doing anything you want to do um, and that really started that journey from there so um, how do you see women holding themselves back from what it is that they want to do due to issues around pelvic health oh, okay so there's lots of different like avenues here so I guess talking from the imminent postpartum so sort of the first year after having a baby um, the most common one that I see is um, definitely around pain sometimes um, so it, that can sometimes be around back pain or hip pain or uh, sometimes people have experienced um, pain during their pregnancy um, that has led on to more problems postpartum um, but quite often the, 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 the other two main things are really urinary incontinence and degree of prolapse so um, and that can come on in a number of different ways so uh, for example you might have someone who is pregnant with their first child and they uh, deliver their baby and they have no pre-existing conditions but um, it may be quite soon afterwards if the labor was particularly uh, long and labored so a really I would call a sucky birth like the three days um, but also on the flip side of that coin if you have a really rapid intense birth so those people who are sort of first-time mums that sort of happened all very quickly and some people are like oh that's great it was over really quickly but actually it was too quick and too intense and hard for your body to process those two flip side of the spectrum may also have um, instances of urinary leakage or um, urgency, so not being able to hold on. Um, they might also have um, a degree of vaginal heaviness, so that, that um, potential for a prolapse. So that's quite common in the first kind of first six, first six to eight weeks post birth. That kind of heavy feeling, almost like I call it, like the second day of your period. That kind of heaviness feeling um, that. It's those kind of things that people, I guess, they don't know what they are or, or, or why they're there. And so people will slowly, not necessarily straight away, but slowly start what I call making their words world smaller. So they'll start avoiding certain uh, activities. So it might be, um, oh, you know, I'm not going to go um, for a big long walk because it really makes me feel like my family is really heavy by the end of it. Or I feel like I'm leaking or what have you, um, or I'm not going to go to that exercise kind of group that I used to because that's holding me back. Um, also social commitments, things like that, they just don't feel like they want to go. Um, and then that can really filter on to things like, you know, I'm not going to go on the trampoline, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to go on the tramp, um, on a tramp, a hike. Um, and I guess, like, I feel that women postnatally almost lose 
or kind of hit this kind of identity crisis where they've become so-and-so's mum, but they're not necessarily exactly the person they were before. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. kind of, you know, rather than being like, for me, like, Eliza, I'm Emma, Eliza and Zoe's mum, but I am still Emma, like I was before, but obviously a slightly new new norm. Um, and so I just feel people, I think postnatal mums feel a bit lost um, in terms of not knowing what to do. And again, on the flip side of that coin, some people just completely ignore it and just do it anyway. They think, oh, sod it, I'll just put a pad on or um, get back to netball and it'll be okay, I'll just use them coping strategy so they'll pee a bit more or they'll stop drinking as much or they'll put a pad on and do it anyway but inevitably the problem is still there and um, you're just trying to fix it I guess in the short term so mm. uh, yeah and then obviously from the reason we're talking about today I think it impacts hugely on relationships because if you have got urinary incontinence and you have got a degree of fair or you suspect you have you're not going to feel like you're most sexy um, and the consequence of that can be really huge um, from a partner perspective as well. So there's loads of like little ripple effects from, from postpartum that can really affect lots of different walks of life, really. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I'm a success coach and we talk about stacking success, but the opposite is true as well. Just these small things on top of another thing on top of another thing. And before you know it, you're like, well, who am I and where did that person go? Yeah. And, um, you know, and I know exactly what you're talking about. And we were actually going to talk about the uh, sneeze -a -pee, um because <laughs> I was um, I was interviewing another lady just a couple of days ago for one of our connect segments. Um, so this is Mums Talk Sex, but we have a connect segment too where we just interview you cool people doing cool cool stuff in the world and we got onto the the subject of the sneezer pee um so does everybody experience because i know i certainly remember my first time before i'd even had the baby and i was in a supermarket and i sneezed and i was like oh my god uh -huh. <laughs> just yeah. um and yeah, yeah went to i remember like social occasions going to mega bounce i'm like i can't do this anymore um, yeah. Isn't it normal? Yeah. Does it, do, do most women experience it? Is it just, I mean, I, I was one of the sucky births, you know, my first one was an induction and it was just not a pleasant experience. And then my second one was a lovely experience, but long. <laughs> it was like the 54 yeah. hour labor. Yeah. Um, so does everybody experience that or just some people? Uh, not, yeah, you're right. And not, it, it isn't, I guess, quote unquote, normal. Uh, the, the big thing for pelvic health physio is that it's very common, but just mm. not normal. Mm. Um, and so like one in three women who have a, a child will experience some degree of urinary incontinence and approximately 50% of postnatal women will experience some degree of prolapse. But, um, you know, so the, the statistics are out there that yes, it's very common, but it, yeah, I wouldn't, if it's one of those things that's holding you back from what you want to be doing and, and inevitably sometimes if you don't address a problem, it just worsens as we get older, as we know that with anything, right? With like back problems or weight or, or whatever it is. So it is really best to address it kind of head on. Um, so the most common reason, and I think it's interesting misconception. So in actual fact, first time mums um, who, whether they have a sucky birth or a great birth, um, the incidence of urinary incontinence is actually smaller 
um, than um, but what is more common with first-time mums is actually fecal urgency. So needing to go for a poo and I need to go now and I can't hold that poo in, I need to go. Um, and the same sort of thing with letting a fart out. So sometimes you should be able to, you know, hold it in the countdown supermarket or whatever, but sometimes you think, oh, that just slipped out and I didn't in that. And the reason for that is quite often the baby's kind of head towards your bum. And that sounds weird. And um, I've got my little pelvis here to kind of help me. I'm a real visual person. So yeah, do it. Let's do it. Confronting on your computer screen. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it helps me explain things way better. So you've got your, um, your this pelvis here at the front. Um, so you've got your back passage here at the back, your external, external, external anal sphincter. And then your uh, vaginal entrance here, and then your uh, urethra at the top here. So the perineum, which is this bit in between that back passage and the vagina, is really this amazing piece of machinery that expands the only muscle in your body that will expand 250% before it tears. So we are ev evolutionary designed to produce babies without tearing, which is great. Um, but if you do have instantly any like perineal tears or um, pressure, quite often they tend to extend downwards. Does that make sense? So it tends to go more into the perineum, so um, towards your back passage. It's it's less so common when you have tears kind of up towards the urethra. You kind of get labial tears at times, um, but it tends to be more perineal tears will, will be down here. Um, and I suppose from a urinary incontinence perspective, uh, the one of the, the mechanisms of why that actually occurs, yes, part of it may well be there may be a bit of weakness around that pelvic floor musculature that would normally give you a good seal, but also um, what you can, it becomes more common after having a, say, first baby, might be second pregnancy or beyond, is it's that laxity within that ligament that would normally hold the bladder higher up, okay? So each time you have a baby, the ligaments that would support those anatomical structures that kind of imagine they're being held within that pelvis like a big top. And um, each time we have a baby and each time we get heavier in terms of as the baby grows, those ligaments just give that little bit more. And so instead of the pelvic organs sitting here, it's just maybe a little bit lower. Um, and so the consequence of that when you're pregnant second time or if you've had your second kid, it may well be you've got a combination then of having a little bit of ligament laxity from the front, so the bladder is generally sitting a bit lower, um, and then also you may have a bit of pelvic floor weakness. So what would normally give you like a full, a, what I call a double seal, like a you know in terms of keeping nice and dry, um, you should normally when we cough or sneeze. <coughs> What should happen is that ligament to support the bladder should push up against that pubic bone that gives you one seal. And the second thing that should happen is those pelvic floor muscles should also engage to give you a tight seal when we cough or sneeze, like, <clears throat> okay. The problem is when we have grown a baby and our core, for want for a better word, is being a bit misconstrued, because it's been stretched this way, that way, etc. And the reflexive nature of that, so instead of going, <clears throat> is often flipped on its head. So it often is then more like <coughs> <laughs> so a lot <laughs> yes. a lot of um, postnatal stuff. That's what you can people feel like when they cough or sneeze they can feel like this this heaviness like <coughs> <coughs> and um, quite commonly postnatally we don't kind of recruit those muscles in the same way. So we just need to retrain them. It's totally possible to do that. And like I say it's not normal to wet your pants every time you cough and sneeze and we can totally um, improve that um, through one way or another. It's not always about kegeling your way out of it. It's not always just about pelvic floor exercises. If that was just my job, I'd be a very rich woman. Um, 
but it, it's more around looking at the different approach so looking at what the ligaments are doing as well and how that whole body system is working to support pressure so yeah cool well that's that's fascinating because i you know it's just not something anyone talks about no, unless it gets to a point, I suppose, where it's really impacting somebody's not life, not just, oh, you know, I went to a work social at Mega Bounce and I realized I couldn't actually play and have fun with the kids as much as I wanted to, um, you yeah. know, so, yeah. And, yeah. so I think, it, you know, it, it, if, quite often it, yeah, it, quite often it kind of snowballs a little bit with that as well. So what, again, I find really commonly is what is kind of a, a certain degree of social acceptable it's an easy pee, you know, like, oh, well, I've had two kids or whatever, like, oh, everyone does it, don't worry about it, um, can quite quickly snowball into something else. So what tends to happen is people will then apply coping strategies to address that problem, which is just human nature, right? Um, it's embarrassing when that happens, so you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, it doesn't bother me. Um, so then what happens is people will apply coping strategies such as going to the toilet more often is what I call just in case. So they'll go for a pee, whether... Oh, I don't know if you can hear me. We've just lost you for a second, Emma, but I feel confident that you'll come back any minute now. Oh, good. Cool. Okay, so we've got Emma back. She's back. Hooray. 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 <laughs> um, Sorry, my no, 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 that's all right. So the last thing we heard was the just-in-case pee, you know, people um, changing their lifestyle and the just-in-case yeah. pee. So the, yeah, the coping strategies that people kind of apply are things like going just-in-case. So rather than actually going when you actually need to go, you'll go before you leave the house, when you get to where you're getting to, when you're going somewhere else, call it what they call toilet mapping. Um, and then quite commonly as well, they'll stop drinking so much. So if you think I'm going out, I'll just, I'll just drink a bit less just-in-case something might happen um, and quite rapidly that can then snowball into this urgency i.e i need to pee and i need to pee this second and i can't hold on and because you don't have really that much confidence in your bladder and you feel like your bladder is con controlling you quite often people then get urgency incontinence which is the situation of i need to pee i need to pee now and you're kind of having to part the waters to get there in time and you only just get to the toilet in time. You have one of those really close, quick calls or it happens before you get to the toilet. Um, so it, it can start off as something really under the radar, completely socially acceptable, you know, kind of bit of sneaky pee, but it can quite rapidly progress to something else. And, and that's often how it goes in terms of how it affects your life as well mm. um, that way. So, um, and it, it's those kind of problems. Sometimes they do just go away um, hormonally. There's a massive fluctuation at the first year after you have a baby, how long you breastfeed for, um, loads of different changes. So sometimes those things do settle and they go away, but notoriously they come back with a vengeance kind of like perimenopausal age, mm. whatever that might be for the person. So it might be that it's, it, you know, it seems to have, oh, it's gone away, but actually it's just latent and then it tends to come back again. Okay. So I, always worthwhile treating it at the time. Absolutely. And and you've, you've covered so much of the things that I wanted to ask you as well, like, you know, what should we be doing now? You know, if we've got a bit of socially acceptable sneezy pee. Um, yeah. yeah. So come and see you essentially some or someone like you if you can't yeah 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 see public health physios are really the best people to treat this really just because we've got that unique ability of treating somebody from the out 
inside in as well as the inside out mm. um, and just tell me a bit more information and rehabilitation and the pelvic floor is uh, is one part of a bigger puzzle so uh, what I mean by that is that personally I'm a big advocate for treating the person like a sorry treating the body like a person so um, rather than just looking at pelvic floor exercises in isolation it's much better to look at how does the body move how do you manage pressure what are your abs doing what's your breath doing um, and a large part of that puzzle as I said is post postnatally what changes when you when you grow a baby in your body it is crazy what it does and um, it's done it for almost a year and then if you've had two or three kids relatively close together those changes in your body are still ongoing that you know they just haven't uh, you've been technically pregnant or postnatal for maybe the last five or six years so it's a huge musculoskeletal issue which is what i look at so you may be being symptomatic of pelvic floor but it might be that i check someone's pelvic floor and actually it's working not too bad it might be because the way that they're breathing or the way that they're standing or they're not very strong in other parts of their body that the pelvic floor is a symptom of that and um i find that really commonly with running so postnatal um running and the, the the most convenient exercise for new mums to do is to run right so if you've got a newborn baby and you've got someone at home that you tag team, sort of, I'm in, you're out, I'm gone for 20 minutes, uh, it tends to be the easiest form of exercise. Um, but sometimes people kind of, they find that they become a bit more symptomatic when running. And a lot of that is to do with how the diaphragm, the core, the trunk and the pelvic floor all work together. And if we've not been addressing that potentially, then that's when things start to fall apart a little bit. Um, so I guess another answer to your question, what can you do? Um, yeah, definitely like pelvic floor is, is one part, but really having a look at, you know, again, like the, the bigger picture really, like what's going on with everything, like how is your back, how are your hips, etc. So that's how physios can help a bit better, I think. Cool. <clears throat> um, I have so many questions, but uh, we've got some great questions that have come in from the audience too. Oh. So, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to address, and maybe we might have to do another recording, we'll just see how we go, is, yes. you know, because I deal with a lot of emotional pain, a lot, a lot of emotional uh, stuff, and I know there's a very yes. fine, weird line between, you know, what manifests in the body, what is purely physical and what is actually emotionally yeah. derived as well. Can we take like one or two minutes just to talk on your experience around that? Um, yeah, you see, you see any overlaps? yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting that I think that's been a real shift in my practice, to be honest, in the last kind of maybe couple of years. Is um, and this isn't just around um, birth, I suppose, um, but it's around lots of different events in women's lives. The same sort of events that can happen in, for example, like hysterectomies, the gynecological surgery. That whole thing of like taking someone's uterus out—it's quite a big event in a woman's life um, and so yeah I really find that there is such a I, I will use the word cross talk between um, the physical component the energetic component and the emotional component of again it's that's that whole thing of treating someone like a person rather than just looking at their vagina and being like oh that part of you isn't that great um, it's looking at that whole person and how all those things interact together now the biggest thing that where you get something that's physical, energetic, and emotional is birth, right? Like, it's just such a huge thing. Um, and a lot of people focus on the physical components of it. Um, but yeah, definitely, it's that whole, and, and birth may or may not be like 
one one event right it's usually like one day or a few days but it's that whole kind of year after you've had a baby when your brain is just a bit like yeah so and if you've got a physical ailment a physical injury on top of all that emotional and energetic shift and struggling you know just with everyday life it can be really hard um and there's so much link between the two i um definitely definitely there's no um yeah kind of what's the word clear-cut line i think everything kind of has this cross talk together and that's where you need to really look at everything holistically I suppose. Yes yeah absolutely that's actually going to segue into one of our questions nicely uh, let me just hang on I've got them written down so I'm just going to scroll down um, okay <clears throat> she said <clears throat> the thing is when I had my first child uh, my vagina pretty much clamped shut uh, the doctor said not to worry and that it was all in my head and it gradually got better after that um, I personally didn't feel too much trauma from the birth, although the birth was everything that I didn't want, um, except the healthy child, of course. Um, so she says, is this, is this normal? Um, and then she goes on to talk about sort of some pain that she still experiences um, during sex. And I think it happens off and on sometimes, um, but not to such an extreme. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So there's probably like we we're just saying that there's probably like multiple layers of stuff going on here. So if we took purely from a physical, physical level, okay. So I suppose it would depend if that uh, lady had a tear or anything like that. We don't know that from the information given, but um, potentially if things didn't go exactly as planned, I can imagine there was maybe some intervention. Um, it wasn't sort of like the beautiful birth we kind of all would aim for. Um, so in that respect, if there has been a tear, so if that can be, so perineal tears are going back to my pelvis again, um, when you have a tear within the perineum, so commonly an episiotomy is also classified as a tear. The episiotomy is when you have a little incision, a little cut, and quite commonly they'll do that if the baby's right here, but they're just not coming down, and that can be due to like a cervical lip or it can just be because the pelvic floor muscles aren't going to give anymore and um, or you need to use an intervention such as a bontooth or a forceps or something like that so um the tear would generally be um to like if you think of it's like a clock this being six this being 12 it's often at like a five o'clock or a six uh, five o'clock or a seven o'clock if that makes sense so it goes off to one side but as i said just previously that it tends to extend extend into that perineum where that external anal sphincter is and and just remember this is just one part so this whole complex then feeds into where your bum muscles are where your hips are so it's there and um, it's that whole kind of area that it in, that it kind of in affects i suppose so from that perspective she may well have had some localized uh, tearing or physiological problems locally now when you've got pain around that area the natural response in pain right is to be like a fetal like oh god that hurts so and again if you've got any tearing that's scar tissue that will also encourage it to to keep it really tight and if nobody tells you to do anything with that scar tissue or um, to do any gentle stretching or anything like that then quite commonly those those muscles form a pattern so um it may well be some of that early days kind of pain and heaviness and soreness post-birth might have created this tension within her pelvic bowl now the other layer of that you've got it could be like she said she sounds like that she 
feel that she coped pretty well through it. Um, but there may well be on some level, um, you know, a level of dissatisfaction that's not how I want it to go. Um, and pelvises, you know, issues are in the tissues kind of thing. You know, your bowl picks that up a little bit as well. Um, and also, um, again, just another layer of that might well be uh, when people, if you've had an injury in that area, like a perineal tear, and then you go to have sex. Of course, the first time you have sex after you've had a, a baby, whether or not you've had any tears, it is not going to rock your world. And the consequence of that, what people do, and I did it, um, the first, well, like six weeks, boom, right, we can do it. Let's just check it fits. Is that okay? And does that feel okay for you? And was it all right for me? And it's a very technical approach. Um, but if you've had pain there and you try and have sex and it's sort of like, oh, goodness, no, no, you need to stop. But because sex obviously has so many of that kind of unsaid stuff going on, what a lot of women do do is that whole kind of grin and bear it. So they kind of think, OK, I'll just try and breathe through it sort of thing and um so but the brain is so much more savvy to that so our brain has a protective response if something hurts if we touch a stove it tells us to move our hand away if something's hurting but we're carrying on it's almost like keeping your hand on a stove while your brain knows it's hurting you and the consequence of that is people continue to have painful sex what they find is that you'll actually get an anticipatory response from those muscles. So I've had it with clients when, you know, they feel they can actually feel it happening when there's no stimulus near them. So it can just be that they're being affectionate with a partner. They're giving them a hug or so they're giving them a kiss or they're just getting a bit cozy on the couch. But their brain is always like four steps ahead and their brain is like, er, 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 like something's happening. And then they can actually feel this tension kind of like creep in. And it's that clamping shut. That's what that sounds like to me a little bit. Um, and the technical word for that would be something like vaginismus, um, which is where you get involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor muscles. But I often find um, it stems from something. Um, it's, uh, do you know what I mean? Like vaginismus mm. often comes from an original source. Quite commonly, it's a pain response. Um, so you get you can get a similar response that we just said from birth, but you can also get a similar response from uh, chronic pelvic pain, women with endometriosis, and um, any uh, trauma or abuse. And um, you know it, it's it's almost like an, an involuntary neural response mm. more than a voluntary I don't want to have sex kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. um, it do, things like that do settle, and again, it's just the right approach for someone like that. Yeah, pelvic floor exercises are not going to help them <laughs> because they've already got a lot of tension in that bowl. So it would really be working with that client of calming their nervous system down for the first thing. So I, I advise a lot of, of clients to stop having penetrative sex if it actually sets their button off, because all you're doing then is reinforcing. reinforcing. That. Yeah, you're just kind of telling your brain, oh, it's okay, it doesn't hurt, but your brain knows it does. So um, it's a, yeah, it's a really complex thing that fascinates me and it can be really rewarding working with clients like that that lady there. Um, so that's good that it's gotten better for her. So that's really good. Cool. So, um, yeah, um, and hopefully she's listening and, um, you know, well, everyone that's listening, I think we're just, you're opening our eyes up to this whole new world that we didn't really know really existed we kind of did but not really um okay so let me just um so talking about pain okay we're talking about relaxing okay so here's one um how how do i relax my vaginal muscles so penetration is more comfortable 
that's a question. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, so part of this might be, oh, hopefully, I haven't lost you again. Nope, I'm here. So far. Oh, you're here. Sorry, <laughs> it's just frozen, but it's come back on. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, so how do you relax your uh, pelvic floor muscles for initial penetration? That was the question, wasn't it? Uh, how to yeah. relax, well, she says, how to relax vaginal yeah. muscles so penetration is more comfortable. Okay, so I guess um, it's kind of coming back to that whole kind of what is the cause of this, the, just of the discomfort. So commonly, again, I'll go back to my little pelvis, um, when there has been some um, tension or scar tissue, so if you have given birth, and you don't even need to have had a tear, to be honest, if you think about this part of your body expanding to the size of a baby's head, that's pretty um, and so you can get a lot of tension left over in it, which is understandable. Okay, so if you've got any residual tension around this perineal body here, which is basically, like I said, like that six o'clock where I paint my uh, part of my finger here, and um, quite commonly, scar tissue or tension will hold, uh, won't want to give. It won't have very much elasticity, right? And the whole point of that area is that we can put things in our body. So we can put a penis in there or a tampon or a menstrual cup, or we can let a baby out. So you have to, if it's having a look, if it's especially on initial penetration, that's quite often when I ask the question, at what point does it hurt? So if it's on initial penetration, it might well be, like in this perineal body to here, if there's quite a lot of tension here, so it's already a little bit tight, when you're trying to put something in there, it's, it's not gonna like it. If it's quite relaxed, you'll find that it's easier to go in and out. Does that make sense? So part of that, what I would look at for this person, it might not necessarily be the muscles per se. It might be actually that scar, that might be that perineal body tissue. So that would be when I would get someone to do something a bit like perineal massage. Um, so lots of people hear about that when you're pregnant, um, but no one really seems to think about it afterwards. But it's something that I would really advocate after you've had any any scar or tear, uh, particularly on that perineum, is that whereby um, I would either use the pad of my finger or you can use the opposite thumb to the opposite side, uh, depending on where you want to be. Um, if you can sit in the bath, back against the, the tub, knees bent, rest against the side, warm water or um, a natural base lubricant that you could use, um, anything really like extra virgin coconut oil or rosehip oil, almond oil. Um, and it, what you can do is basically you can use the pad of your finger in kind of a direction on the outs, outside on that perineum, like north, south, east, west, or even like little just gentle circles just to see if there's any tension there. The other way you could do it is you could use, if you're comfortable, you could use your thumb, like I said, on the opposite side. So I'm using my right thumb for the left-hand side of the bowl, kind of between three and six o'clock, if that makes sense. And you can just pop your thumb within, almost like pincer it, that skin, that labia, and just the same sort of thing. Have a little bit of a feel and have a bit of a, a feel going down towards the six o'clock and see if there's any residual tension there. Because quite often there's lots of, you'll feel something, you'll be like, that's a bit tight. At that point, I'd probably get the pressure just to hold that tension and try and have a few kind of breaths through it, almost like a contraction, right? So when contractions come or something sore, you're like, <laughs> okay, so try and breathe into it to see if you can then just allow it to kind of give that little bit more each time. Um, so that'd be the first thing. The second thing in terms of global stretching, the best way to try and relax your pelvic floor is actually having a really true diaphragmatic breath. And by that, I mean that diaphragm and expanding 360 degrees, not just belly breathing, which is what a lot of people do, but really getting breath into kind of the back part of their lungs is a really good way of doing that. So I do breathing exercises in child's pose or in a kind of fetal position can be a good way. And um, it really helps to 
and when we take a deep breath in, what actually happens, if you imagine the inside of us like a, an, an inflated, deflated balloon, when we take breath in, okay, the ribcage and the lungs expand, okay, and the pelvic floor actually relaxes and lowers, and then as we take a breath out, the pelvic floor acts like a springboard to push the air out and our ribcage and lungs squeeze in to get the air out. So we kind of relax and open up and down on a breath in and we contract and engage on a breath out. So by taking nice big breaths inwards, it really helps us to kind of bellow out through that pelvic floor. Uh, and I really encourage clients to use the mind's eye picture of like a circle or a diamond shape of that idea. When you're taking a breath in, it's this idea of expansion. So it's like... So if we're going bigger, 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 and then smaller, 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 smaller. And it just really helps your body to just let go of some of that tension, as well as doing, to be honest, looking at like glute stretches, hip stretches, quite often people quite tight around there as well. So there would be a couple of things that I would do for that, that patient there. So look locally and then look more globally. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it's also fascinating. Um, what have we got? Um, well, she says, she says, does Emma talk about orgasms? Firstly, all, Lol. The, time. all the time. Okay. So then she says, uh, I think maybe my orgasms aren't as good as other people's. I orgasm really easily, but I don't really get what the fuss is all about. Ah, oh, okay. Right. So oh, I love conversations like this. So um, I remember speak, listening to your Misty talk and she was mentioning about a book by Emily Dodonsky called Come As You Are. So I had another um, book as well, because I've got that one up here, uh, which is a great book, uh, which is the one that Misty mentioned. The other one is another great book. Um, uh, I can't remember her second name, Laura somebody, um, but it's uh, called Becoming Cliterate, and I actually I haven't got it here, um, I must have loaned it out, um, but it's another really great book, so it's a really, um, anything around the idea of sexual kind of orientation, like arousal, and how the, the, the female body works with arousal is really quite fascinating, and if you understand that, you will feel way less abnormal like I'm not like anyone else and realize oh actually this is totally normal for me um it's more the rest of the world that's got it wrong and that's just around this idea of you know only seven well sorry 30 percent of women will be able to achieve an orgasm with penetrative sex alone okay it's a really small percentage um not at all like it is in films or porn or whatever you know it's so far removed um, and the clitoris is there for a sexual arousal system the difference being or the importance around the clitoris actually is where it's located and how this impacts on pelvic health is really big so one of the symptoms quite commonly people say to me either um, I can't achieve orgasm or I feel like I really have to work at it like as in I have to be really in the zone and there's lots of work it almost like you give up because you're like oh too taking too long um, and when they do achieve orgasm it's almost instead of this big kind of like roller coaster like big contraction followed by a big relaxation which is what it should be it's more like this little which is what this lady's done so it's just not quite anticipatory what it is so where the clitoris is it's just giving an idea of the clitoral hood is right at the top here okay so that little um yellow dot is being represented um and so it's the clitoral hood is here, and so it's very much under the hood, as it were. You kind of lift it up, and it would be underneath that. Now, the clitoris is very much like the um, end of a penis, right? But it's got twice, three, sorry, four times more nerve endings on the on the clitoris than it has on the end of a penis. So it just gives you an idea of sensitivity. Okay. The also thing is that in order for it to become um, fully arousal, so to achieve our full potential, it has to in what's the word? 
expand times four size, four times its size. Okay, so in everyday things, it's obviously under the hood. Okay, but during sexual arousal, it will actually expand sort of four times its size, and that's when we've got lots more sensitivity. It feels a lot better. Okay, um. The problem being sometimes I find that some people's clitoral hoods or some people's clitoris are being held in like a little straight jacket. So what I mean by that is the tissue that goes over that mum's pubis, so this being the mum's pubis here, sort of the mound uh, where you would get here, sort of on the top where your pants would sit, your pubic bone is here. Um, if this is tight here, okay, so when you kind of palpate just on below your bikini line before you reach your vagina, before you reach your urethra, that bit in between, that little triangle, if they can have a feel around that and see if there's any tension there, because all that tension and fascia and connective tissue feeds into that clitoral hood. So if that is tight, it's holding that clitoris in a little straight jacket. So no amount of rubbing is going to make that release. Does that make I, sense? I'm just, yeah, it does. I'm just having like this mental image. I think everyone listening just going like, <laughs> just having a bit of a feel, having an assessment. It sounds so strange. But it, it's such a really common concept, and it's just that idea of you have to have that fascial flow, that connectivity, like that um, freedom of movement of connective tissue. And a really common place of scar tissue getting stiffer is C sections or um, post op hysterectomy, um, or um, even appendectomy, so having your appendix removed. So um, any kind of abdominal surgery can create tension within that fascia. So that would be the first place I would look for this lady to see if there's any tension there. The second part, if they are absolutely fine there and there's no restriction there, the other thing I would look at is pelvic floor tension, sorry, pelvic floor kind of contraction, because a, a, a you know a great orgasm should be a massive contraction followed by a massive relaxation. That's how you get the high to the low. So if she's just getting a, it might be she's not getting enough oomph to then get a bigger relaxation, that makes sense. So um, it's just two ways to look at it. It's either that the clitoris is being held in and it's not being able to move and so you're not getting the same kind of full arousal stimulation and or it might be because the pelvic floor muscles aren't engaging and you're not getting that really full contraction. So those would be two things I would look at with that person. Mm. Cool. Yeah. So I keep saying it every time you speak. I'm like, this is so interesting. Um, now yeah. I'm just looking. Oh, it's one eleven. Everyone just. Yep. I love love that when we notice. Um, anyway, um, I've still got questions, but I want to make sure that you give us a, a favorite song because I love to ask oh, guests, yeah. you know, to give us a song. Just it just is a little window into your soul, and I really like to um, help people to feel like they can trust you and reach out to you. And I know when you share it, whenever, when everyone shares a song, it's like, oh, you know, it, we, we come a little bit closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did have a think around this, but I said I saw it in Misty's and I was like, oh, I have to get thinking about that one. Um, so I'm a really emotive person. I guess I'm really triggered that a lot of, I feel a lot through music. And I'm probably like everybody on this planet, I would say I've got a real a collection of tastes and I'll listen to everything from, I don't know, from quite like 60s, 70s to anything else. So, but I guess one song that I would, um, that really resonates with me is a Fleetwood Mac song. Um, so my parents used to listen to Fleetwood Mac and it's been from holidays of camping in France and stuff from age old, but it, I listen to it all the time now. Um, and it's just Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac. I love that song and I don't know really other than that particular song really resonates with me for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, Fleetwood Mac, Rhiannon. That would cool. Be my, 
Awesome. So we'll put the link. <laughs> we'll definitely put a link because I'm not sure I even know that. So we'll we'll put a oh, link really? anyway. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm about to be educated. Yeah. Um, so we'll put a link wherever this uh, podcast turns up as well, or in the show notes because this it kind of gets spread out. All of us that run yeah. podcasts now, these podcasts get spread out all over the place. We don't even know how it works and where they go. <laughs> so if you can't see a link, um, just go back to Anchor FM. Uh, we are unlimited or uh, find us in the Facebook group. Um, find us somehow. There'll be a link somewhere, but you can just Google it too. But um, okay. Awesome. Now let me just see what else we've got. Uh, I think I have a sensitive cervix um, positions for when it feels like it's going too far. Does that make sense? Yeah, complete sense. So um, again, really common that people have a lot of like deep penetration pain. Um, so notoriously, the, the, the two positions that really kind of amp it up where they probably figured this out now where they're like, we just cannot do that position is um, from behind. Um, so um, the partner kind of with the penis kind of coming from behind and um, laying on all fours or what have you. And um, just because um, it's obviously deep penetration. The other one is when if... Um, you're on your legs on the back with the knees up or you know they in the moment the guy decides to grab the leg and they're like whoa just wait there it's got to stay that kind of moment um so yeah so it can be depending so generally speaking the cervix is quite sensitive it's not supposed to be having something like up and down on it um but there can be a couple of reasons why the cervix is uncomfortable. So one of the reasons can be if it's a bit, sh if you've got a, a slightly lower cervix. So when I talked before about this idea of the pelvic organs just sitting a little bit lower after we've had kids, um, that does tend to happen is that the cervix also, everything's just that little bit lower. So essentially your vaginal canal is just a little bit shorter. Obviously, generally guys lengths doesn't really change so um but your vaginal canal length can do okay um so that can be one thing the other thing it can be is from um yeah again like a sometimes just post-birth um everything gets um smushed around that's <laughs> front for a better word and um, babies don't come out bang right in the middle they're often they often come out on the left hand side of our pelvises because the uterus has a one-way system and that's just the way the baby that's the way life works um so sometimes you can get some residual kind of tension um at one side of the cervix a bit more than the other just lost you again emma i'll um pause this recording and we'll start again shortly okay we're back so we're talking how the the, the canal can be a little bit shorter yeah, so, so your, your vaginal canal can actually be a little bit shorter. And um, the other thing as well is that there can be um, some restrictions in the cervix. So again, I think a lot of people have this idea of if you kind of cut yourself right down the middle, uh, looking like at yourself like you would do on a piece of page paper or something in a textbook, that you've got like the left ovary here and the right ovary here and your uterus and your bladder and everything exactly that way out. But in a realistic situation, it's a lot more like a 3D spider web. So if, if we think of ourselves as a bit more flow and dynamic, so our cervix isn't necessarily bang in the middle of our body, definitely post-birth, it might be slightly to the left, it might be slightly to the right. The other thing as well is if there's anything that's gone on with the ovaries. So quite commonly, um, it can be fibroids, it can be cysts, it can be endometriosis, chronic pelvic pain, anything like that. You can sometimes find that scar tissue or adhesions can pull the ovary sort of slightly forwards or slightly backwards or slightly left or slightly right. 
And because everything's connected to the uterus and the cervix, you might find that that has some impact as well. Um, so what I, someone like myself would do is sometimes you can do a like sort of localized um, kind of softening of the cervix, like just manual uh, feeling of it, just to try and soften it. The other thing you can do, if you have got a shorter vaginal canal, and it is a problem with penetration, you kind of feel like, as I said, during sex, you kind of almost have to have one hand on your partner just in case they go too far and hurt you. And um, there is actually something out there called an O-nut. Um, I can click you the link, Helen, after um, an O-nut. So it's H, uh, sorry, O-H-N-U-T. And it's an actual uh, device that a pelvic health physiotherapy um, person has devised, I think based in Canada. And it comes like little silicon rings that you can stack. So the idea being that they pop the ring around the penis and depending, so that will obviously then shorten the length of the penis that can actually enter the vagina. So it just means that it gives the other person, the, the, the female, more of that kind of, oh, okay, you're not going to hurt me. Because again, part of being on sex, it should be enjoyable and it should be like lack of inhibitions and in the moment. But if you're too busy thinking, oh my God, are you going to hurt me? Let's not go in that position. Um, you're not going to be in that place and so it doesn't make it that enjoyable for you so it's really important that you know those these kind of things can be real game changers for people's relationships so it's useful to know about those kind of things if you needed it yeah for sure really and so well. definitely make sure we get a link for that um i've got another appointment in 10 minutes i'm just seeing what else we've got um I think that's everything from listeners. Uh, so I've got a question. <laughs> Is there any way to make Kegels fun? Are we all supposed to be doing our Kegels? Are you supposed to be doing them like, oh God. <laughs> well, again, personally, I, I'm maybe like right now wrong for saying this, but I personally am not the person. I personally don't do pelvic floor exercises every day and I'm a pelvic health physiotherapist. Um, I personally am a big advocate for keeping the whole body healthy. So yes, it's important to be able to engage that muscle. Like it's still important to be able to engage your glute muscle, right? So it's useful to have that connection. So if you haven't got any connection, then yes, you probably do need to be working on them a bit more specifically. Um, there is actually a way, and again, a couple of different devices people can use. So um, for some women who've got some degree of pelvic floor control, but like, I just don't have time. I do not have time in my life. I know it's something I should prioritize, but I just don't. And my butt totally fine and um, you can utilize something called a vaginal comb which is basically looks like a little tampon um, and you can these are great for people who don't have much of a too much of a prolapse or anything like that just really needing a bit more oomph on the pelvic floor and it's a little cone that kind of um, swivels off and you've got like little weights in it <laughs> so you can add weights so the idea it's like weightlifting kind of for your vagina but the way in which it works it starts with like a little thin cone and if you pop it in like a tampon naturally what will happen when you put something in the vaginal canal those muscles will grip it reflexively so whether it be a penis or a tampon or a vaginal cone okay Okay. But the idea being that you pop it in, okay, you walk around at home, you do your normal thing, get your washing on, get things ready for dinner, da, 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 20, 30 minutes, take it out, boom, done. And the idea is that you're kind of training your pelvic floor specifically to work against gravity, which is personally what I find is a lot more important. So it's great if people are doing daily pelvic floor exercises, lying down on the floor and doing 10 lots of 10 in the correct Yeah, but who's got time for that? <laughs> Who has A has time for that? But then also B, when do you ever lie down in the day, man? Like the only time I lie down is when I go to bed and I am zonked and I haven't got time to lie down in bed and think, oh, I need to do my pelvic floor right now. Um, 
I am personally a big advocate for making time for myself for exercise for my whole body. So I will try and kind of incorporate a little bit of mindful pelvic floor breathing work um, as well as strengthening work because that's the whole thing. One part of a bigger puzzle is that one pelvic floor is one part, but you really need your whole body to be strong and work as a system. And you get that crossover then. So the stronger your glutes are, the stronger your hips are, the stronger your abs are, and you've got good breathing pattern, that will naturally engage your pelvic floor better than just doing this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and and that's yeah. why we've created the whole League of Champions thing as well. Like, and, and we can extend that metaphor out beyond the body too into sort of emotional. That's what they do. You, you guys do at Tahi as well. Like, it's such yeah. a beautiful space, beautiful practitioners there. Um, oh, we're going to have to wrap up. I'm going to – I want to talk forever, but um, – you, now, I know you're in a little bit of a Christmas spirit because we're recording this a few days before Christmas, about we're just yeah. not quite one week out. Um, and you have something, a little present that you could give away. Yeah, yeah. So I have, um, which was my last thing actually I was going to mention, this works out quite well. Um, so I've got something here which is called Olive and Meat. So it's a vaginal moisturizer. Who knew there was such a thing? Um, but vaginal moisturizer is actually really useful. It's completely organic. Uh, this is an Aussie based one. There's a couple of different ones. Um, and I think, again, Helen's going to put the link in if you wanted to purchase some. Um, but the idea of this intimate fix called an intimate cream is you can use it as a vaginal moisturizer. So it's got no synthetic, no hormones in it. But particularly if you do get a bit irritated, of vaginal dryness um, or generally if you just think things need a bit more oomph down there um, you can apply it kind of topically in and around the vagina and also around the vulva but you can also use it as a lubricant so if there was any, any irritation with initial penetration um, you could use this kind of as well as um, and it's just a really awesome product uh, and I recommend it to a lot of clients that I've got um, and they really a lot more awareness around you know no parabens no phthalates and no phas phbs etc so this is a really awesome organic product which is really great so i'm happy to give this away to um how will we your... do this yeah <laughs> how should we do this um, maybe um uh, maybe you, well, we, you could do something random like you could I, i'm not sure if i want to do this somebody could guess how old i am and the closest one could get it <laughs> we could do well, guess when my birthday is guess when your birthday is i bet there's people that probably know that are listening to this um oh, that's great, actually. so well we might just make it first in first dibs you know reach out yeah. to yeah, first, yeah. First, reach, first comment or if you think that's yeah. something that yeah. is going to benefit your life and i think yeah. a bunch of people listening are like Oh my God, what's this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> and we've still got time before Christmas too, so you can add your wish list, add it to your wish list. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, the first person to listen to this and who wants it, just reach out to Emma um, and we'll make sure all the links are below yeah. um, everywhere that I, I know I can put links. Uh, reach out to Emma. Yeah. If, for some reason, if you can't get in touch with her, just get in touch with me and I'll connect you and you can get your hands on that product, which looks really, really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to wrap it up. That was so fascinating. Maybe we can even, you know, one thing I'd love to dive into another time. So I, rec I recorded a podcast with a lady called Sama Morningstar uh, just a couple of days ago, and she's a womb healing specialist and very sort of a spiritual oh, yeah. healer. Um, and she talked about the spiritual evolution of women and the different phases that they go through. And she talked about the post, the post childbearing, post post child yeah, bearing age so we've got children but they're not like yeah. infants um to yeah. to post menopause 
and she called that the enchantress phase and I was like oh that's interesting and I'd love to hear more about that we couldn't talk yeah. more about it and I'll have to get her back and one thing that I'd love to talk about another time is the whole perimenopausal thing and you know kind yeah. of what goes on for women and how that affects affects them emotionally sexually all of that kind of yeah. stuff so is that something yeah. we could maybe it's like a whole other topic right yeah, yeah but like similar similar themes but it's like coming from a different perspective so mm. um yeah no absolutely no that'd be that'd be good let's do that sometime after after we, we all get through christmas now <laughs> and yeah. feed, feed our families and 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 you know we've yeah. got school holidays and everything coming up but i would love to dive into that because i think it's really exciting like once you get through that like in it phase when the babies are just tiny and then you're starting to think about well what about me? What else is there out there for me? And then ways to, to reframe that and add more information to that so we can make powerful decisions around that. I think it's really, yeah. really exciting. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much today, Emma, for oh, coming you, on Emma. board. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating. A lot of people will be – I know a lot of people are more enlightened about the area, and please do reach out to Emma. Um, can you – if people aren't in New Plymouth, can you help them online? Is that something you can do? Uh, yeah. You can try. I mean, I'm, I'm, always, I'm, always, I'm always happy if people have got e uh, you know, have people to email me um, or through the website or message me through the website. Um, if you've got any specific questions, I have, I have, I'm quite – I say quite well connected. I've got lots of connections throughout the world. So – if you're somewhere where you don't know where the Pelvic Health is, let me know and I can let them let you know where your nearest one is and someone who I work very closely with. So um, I've done that a lot of times for lots of different people, so that'd be helpful. But um, otherwise, you can, yeah, if you are in Newfoundland, you can book online um, for next year now. But yeah, yep. by all means, make the point. Cool. Awesome. I just want to make sure if people are, you know, listening outside of New Plymouth that, that we can yeah. help them if they've got some stuff going on. Yeah, so, definitely. yes. There's lots of us out there that's good awesome cool okay well emma i'm going to release you back into the wild and i'm going to go to my my appointment in two minutes so perfect timing okay. on that one and um merry christmas and merry christmas to yeah. listeners as well um yeah, merry christmas to everyone have a great yeah. 2020 yes indeed and um i think we're going to talk to you again emma for sure oh, i look forward to it emma. all right okay take care all right then. take care all right. see you bye. later bye bye